Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good evening. Perfect weather. I know some of you are right in the sun. That's about to go away. A nice, cool, delightful evening. How many of you are glad that you're Americans? And that you have freedom? How many of you are glad to be citizens of the kingdom of God and have freedom? There you go. I want to talk to you just a little bit about that. And I would like your attention. I know we have families. We have lots of visitors. But I would like your attention for a few minutes to have you consider some very important things with me. Now, we have people that are here. We have people that are gathered way over here. And you maybe not have seen, but there's a whole five-acre grass park with this huge diamond screen. And they're able to see us. Uh, Why don't you up here say hi to the people on the other side over in the park. And we want to welcome all of the park people. Now, there was a song that was written. Hey, all right, we can hear them all. (laughs) Now, that's cool. Separated only by a little hill. Back in 1969, there was a song that was written by Chris Christopherson and sung by Janis Joplin called Me and Bobby McGee. And there's a a, a little line, a little phrase about freedom. And it says, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And I listened to that recently and I thought, what in the world does that exactly mean? And I asked people what they thought it meant. I even went online and I blogged what that means. And I discovered there was a whole blog discussion as to the meaning of that phrase, nobody knew what that exactly meant. Somebody tried to make it a big issue of when you as a country lose everything, you know, and you have nothing left. It has nothing to do with that. It was written about the relationship between a man and a woman, as if to say, well, you know, you lose everything, that's freedom. It's pretty clear, and this is the point I want to make, that we have a really skewed idea of what it means to be free, of what it means to have liberty. People talk about freedom all of the time, but I am convinced that our country has lots of people who say they want freedom, and freedom is just another word for enslavement. What our culture calls freedom is another word for enslavement. Because a lot of people say, I want freedom. What they mean is I want to be free from guilt in my life. I want to be free from God in my life. I want to be free from any moral constraints or restraints. I want to do whatever I want to do. They call that freedom. I want freedom from moral laws. But the more of that kind of freedom that you have, the more enslaved you will become. You become enslaved when you have that kind of freedom. I want you to remember something. I've said it before, but I just want you to plant this in your heart. The more that you do as you please, 
the less you will be pleased with what you do. That's an axiom. That's a law you can live by. If you live to please yourself, you will not be pleased with yourself. Your life will go nowhere. Now, I mentioned the 60s. I was just a wee little tyke back in the 60s, but I remember some of the mantras that were going around. People saying, hey, do your own thing. Or do what feels good to you. If it feels good, do it. Or how many of you remember this one? Different strokes for different folks. And all of that moral relativism has seeped into the bloodstream of our culture and has wrecked some havoc in our culture. It sounds so good. It sounds so tolerant. But it has caused some devastating effects. Consider this. Sexual freedom in our culture has given millions of unwanted pregnancies and a score of untold abortions. They call that freedom. Freedom to experiment has brought drug addiction that costs at a state level $40 billion per year. Your tax dollars at work. They call that freedom. Relational freedom means people are having babies but not raising them. Absentee fathers over and over again. All of that kind of freedom has produced a sort of bondage and a burden on our society. So the more you do as you please, the less you will be pleased with what you do. If you live to please yourself, you will not be a happy person. But I guarantee you, if you live to please the Lord you will have joy and contentment and satisfaction that you can't imagine, even in the worst of times. It's a biblical guarantee. Now, a guy named Paul Harvey, who died recently, radio personality, wrote this. Suppose one day our civilization were destroyed and our cities laid waste. Suppose in 20,000 years an archaeologist from another time was poking around in the ruins of your city. If he should dig up just one penny, he would know much about us. The coin is a blend of metals, and it would tell him that we were miners and understood the science of metallurgy. By the perfect circle shape of the coin, he would deduce that we understood geometry. The wheat on the back of the penny would tell him that we were a great agricultural society and that our fine crops were a major source of our wealth. The date on the face of the coin would show him that we understood arithmetic and we had a calendar. The portrait of Abraham Lincoln would mark us as artists who had an advanced culture. The words United States would let him know that we are a federated group of local communities bound together by a strong central government. The phrase, e pluribus unum, would tell him that we were scholars who knew foreign languages. The word liberty on the face of the penny would let the archaeologists know that our country sought to guarantee freedom for every man. And finally... The phrase, in God we trust, would confirm that we had a moral law. It would let him know that we had grown strong and mighty with God leading. And then, 
Considering the penny, the archaeologist would have to wonder, why did that civilization go astray? Why did our civilization go astray? Now, you and I are citizens, and we have a relationship to our country, our community, and our government. And I'd like to briefly tell you two things about what it means to be a citizen as a Christian. Number one, you and I have a dual citizenship. We have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of this city, this state, this country, but we're also citizens of heaven. And when you open up, say, the book of Philippians, Paul says, to those who are at Philippi, who are in Christ Jesus. There, Paul delineates between the two types of citizenry that we enjoy. They were citizens of a local government, a Roman colony at the city of Philippi. But they were also in Christ Jesus. They were citizens of earth, but as believers in Christ, they were citizens of heaven. And one day, forever and ever, they would spend their eternity there. Dual citizenship. Now, in that same book, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven. Interesting word he uses. In the Greek, our politics are in heaven. Can I just say for the record that as time marches on, as governments and administrations come and go, I am becoming less of a partisan politic person. It sounds like a preacher said that. Three alliterated words. I'm becoming not a Republican, not a Democrat, but more and more of a theocrat. I can't wait till Jesus comes back and takes over planet Earth. But I'm still a citizen of this Earth. And I have roles and I have responsibilities. And even my Lord Jesus said that I am to render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but I'm also to render to God the things that are God's. And you know that Romans chapter 13 delineates our responsibility to civil government at the state level, at the federal level. Number one, I'm to respect those in government. Doesn't matter if I elected them or not. Doesn't matter if I voted for them or not. I guarantee you this, Paul the Apostle did not vote for Caesar Nero. But we must render them respect. We must render them our allegiance and our prayers. I hope you pray for your president and the administration. We're called to do that. And here's why. Romans 13 says, no one takes political office unless God allows them to take that office. I wonder if you believe that. There's no politician who's in office that God didn't allow in that office. Even King Nebuchadnezzar, the tyrant of ancient Babylonia, learned that the kingdom of heaven, God, rules over the kingdom of men, and he puts in office whoever he wants. And then he said, God even sets over people the lowest of men, the lowest of men. But God puts them there. And everyone in government 
If you work for the government tonight, let me just say to you, everyone from the president on down to the mayor on down to any civil servant must realize that you occupy a God-given task and responsibility. And we will respect you. We will honor you. And Paul says that in Romans 13. He also says we're to pay our taxes. Ouch. Every April 15th, ouch. But he said, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Custom to whom custom is due. Honor to whom honor is due. It also means, according to the same chapter, Romans 13, that we enjoy their protection, the protection of our government. For Paul says, they will punish evildoers and they do not bear the sword in vain. So we have a responsibility as citizens of this earth to respect, to pay taxes, and to enjoy the support of our government, local and federal. But, and this is a huge, huge um, caveat, but this citizenship that we have, this dual citizenship and this allegiance even to our own government, comes with a hitch because we have a prioritized citizenship. First and foremost, our allegiance must be to God. Yes, we give allegiance to the government. Yes, we're citizens of earth and heaven. But first and foremost, I am the servant of the Most High God, and my allegiance is to the King of Kings, who is over heaven and earth. And so I will support my government. I will pray for and support the president, the prime minister, the mayor, unless and until they require me to do something God forbids me to do, or they don't allow me to do something God wants me to do. At that point, I check out and I serve God and I let the chips fall where they may. And that's what, that's what it says in Acts 5. You see, in Acts chapter 5, a law was passed by the local government in Jerusalem that they could not publicly tell people about Jesus Christ any longer. And you know what Peter said? You can figure out what you guys want to do as government officials, but we must obey God rather than men. So this dual citizenship comes with a hitch, a hierarchy, a priority. Our first allegiance is to God. So that's number one. We have a dual citizenship. Here's the second point, and I'm only going to make two points, so you're off the hook tonight. It's not only a dual citizenship. Our citizenship is a descriptive citizenship, a descriptive citizenship. This is what Jesus said we are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And those two words are very descriptive of our role in society. We are salt and we are light. Now, salt was a preservative 2,000 years ago. In ancient times, salt kept things from getting worse, corroding. They would rub salt in meat to keep it for a long time. They had no refrigeration. And then there's light. Now, light illuminates. Light shows people in the darkness the way out of darkness. We have that kind of a role as citizens in our culture. We're not just to acknowledge our government. We're not just to obey human government. We're to be involved in human government to influence, to preserve, and to illuminate. Now, you know how the Old Testament prophets did it? The Old Testament prophets had guts. When any 
king in Israel or abroad did something contrary to God's law, they heard about it. The prophets would speak up and confront leaders. If they neglected truth, if they neglected justice, those prophets would raise their voice and proclaim clearly God's law, God's truth, God's justice. They were involved as salt and light. Now listen, there would never have been an abolitionist movement unless it were for people of faith. There never would have been a civil rights movement unless it were for people of faith. There never would have been a child labor reform movement unless people of faith got involved. All of those movements from the abolitionists all the way through to civil rights, people of faith stepped up and said, we're salt, we're light, we're involved. Now people will say that and people will hear that. And this is the response many will come up with when hearing that. They say, yeah, it's okay. I, I get what you're coming from. And Christians are okay to have in any culture. But here's, here's the word they say. Here's the phrase. You can't legislate righteousness. Let me say for the record, that's a lie. That's a myth. Governments legislate righteousness all the time. Anytime a government puts out a law that says, we're not going to allow you to murder people. That's legislating morality. When a law is passed against rape, that's legislating morality. When a law is passed against theft, that's legislating morality. All of those are legislations that are moral legislation. So this, this bunk about you can't legislate morality is a myth. It happens all the time by every government. Governments pass laws. And when citizens vote on laws and those laws get passed against murder and against rape and against theft, it's not that we're seeking to impose our morality on people. What we're seeking to do is keep them from imposing their immorality on us and on their victims. So be salt, be light, be involved. We have a very descriptive role as citizens to be unashamed of the gospel. Do you love Jesus Christ? Then don't be ashamed of him. You have no reason to be ashamed of Jesus Christ or the gospel. Will people not like it? They won't like it. But only those in darkness won't like it. People in darkness run from the light. And people who have been enlightened by the truth love the light. You and I have a dual citizenship as well. Citizens of earth, citizens of heaven, and heaven gets the priority. Now, I have a question for you, and I want you to think about it honestly. I know there's a big crowd here, but this is just a time for you to think about and do business with your heart before God. It could be that some of you have never truly been honest in your heart before God. You played you played the Christian, you played the little game, but you haven't been honest. Here's the question I want to ask. Are you a citizen of God's kingdom? Are you sure that you have the passport, the blood of Christ that has washed away your sins? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Are you sure tonight you're a citizen of heaven? I want you to think about that. Now, I have a dollar bill. 
And on the back of the dollar bill, by the way, it's the only thing in my wallet. There was only thing but a dollar. But on the back of it, among other things, it says, In God we trust. I can't speak for our country. I can only ask you to think for yourself. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust Him? Have you entrusted your life to Him? Have you placed your future, your decisions, your life in God's trust and you trust Him implicitly? You've asked Him to be your Savior. You've, you've said, I want you not as just my Savior, but my Master to rule me. Have you done that? If you haven't, or if you're not sure that you have, or if you think, I think I did that. It was years ago. I did it at camp. It felt so good. I sang that song and I got goosebumps. Great. We're glad you did. But are you following Jesus tonight? This is the season we celebrate our independence from foreign government and tyranny. But is this the night where you're celebrating your dependence upon him? Independent and dependent. Freedom is depending. Freedom is being a slave of Jesus Christ. Those who are sold out to Jesus become the freest people on the face of the earth. You could say, I don't want to be anybody's slave. Well, you already are. Too late. Bob Dylan put it great years ago. You got to serve somebody. Of course, you really couldn't understand it when he sang it. You got to serve somebody. (laughs) But it's true. And and if you say, I'm not a slave to anyone else, you're a slave to yourself then in your own pleasure and your own bondage. True freedom is becoming a slave of Jesus. And what I'm going to ask tonight before we go on, we're going to have a great time of food and fellowship and fireworks. There I go again being a preacher with all F's in that sentence. But this is the time to do business with God. I'm going to ask you tonight to get up from your seat and to give your life to Jesus Christ. And as Nick and the band come, they're going to sing a song. I want you to think about your own life and your life choices and find out where you are with God. Are you doing His will? Is His will more important than anything else in your life? If not, maybe you really haven't surrendered to Christ. This isn't just a little religious thing. This isn't just a little prayer that you pray and you get a little certificate. We're doing eternal business with God tonight. I'm going to give you an opportunity as we sing this song. If you're not sure or if you're sure that you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ and you want to do it now and you want to feel forgiven and you want purpose in your life, you want real freedom. Jesus said, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. You can have true freedom tonight, but you have to receive it. You see, eternal life is a gift and any gift has to be received. God's willing to give it, but you don't have to take it. But if you're smart, you will. As we sing this final song, I'm going to ask you to get up and come. And there's a pastor over in the green belt where the big screen is. He's going to ask you to come forward. And we're going to have you stand right up here. And I'm going to pray with you a prayer where you give your life to Christ. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. 
Thank you, and God bless.